Well, today's a big day at Genesis Church. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Anytime we have a baptism service, it's a big deal around here. Uh, There are churches, as I mentioned last week, if you were here, there are churches that choose to do this all kinds of different ways. Um, But at Genesis, we've chosen to do it a few times a year and really celebrate it in a big way. So in a few minutes, we've got three people that are going to come forward in this service, and they're going to proclaim something. They're going to publicly declare that they have decided to follow Jesus. And some of them made that decision a a while ago, and some of them have just recently made that decision. But what they're saying is, today, I'm submitting my life to him. I want everybody to know that this is the new way I'm going to live. They're not declaring they're perfect. They're not saying, hey, we're never going to screw up again. Um, But what they're saying is that there is something different about their lives. And they want you to know that that thing that's different is different enough that they want to stand up in front of here, up in front of their friends and their family and their church, and celebrate that decision with them and help hold them accountable for that. And we're going to celebrate all of those decisions. And so we've given you uh, some noisemakers. Did everybody get a noisemaker when you walked in? You get something like this, or everybody get those if you got them. You're going to need those in a few minutes. Um, If not, maybe your own God-given noisemakers will be better. I don't know. But um, you've got some noisemakers in your hand. We've got some beach balls up here. Those are for later, so don't worry about that. But um, when we do that, every time that somebody gets in this tub uh, right here and gets in, we're going to celebrate that in a big, big way. Um, why do we do it that way? Why do we go crazy? Well, I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want to tell you a story. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 15. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one uh, around you somewhere that looks like this. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, you can take that one with you. That's our gift to you today because we want you to be reading along with us, um, especially as we start our series next week, which I'll talk to you about in a few minutes. But Luke 15, 11, it's on page 730 if you have this Bible, if you have your own uh, you're on your own. So Luke, for the page number. Luke fifteen eleven is where we're going to start. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Okay, so let me just stop right there. Uh, in those days, the way an estate would be divided upon the death of the father is that it would be divided among all of the sons. And it would be divided more or less evenly, except with one exception, and that's that the older son would get a double portion. Okay, And so if there are two sons, what would normally happen is the older son would get two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would get a third of the estate. Now, all he's asking for is something that's coming to him anyway, right? He's asking for his portion of the estate. He's not trying to cheat his brother. He's not trying to cheat his father. But when would he normally get his portion of the estate? Yeah, when his his father passed away, right? When his father died. And so, in effect, what the younger son is saying by asking for his share of the estate was, uh, Dad, you're not dead yet, but I wish you were. I mean, it's kind of like, that's what I can get from you. And so it's kind of a bold thing uh, to come forward and do that. So just give me what I deserve now, and I'll be on my way. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to to his fields to feed pigs. Now, you should know, you probably do know, if you have any familiarity with the Old Testament, that the Jewish people thought that pigs were uh, filthy animals. They were unclean animals. They wouldn't be around them. They certainly wouldn't eat them. And so to be around in a situation where he was having to feed pigs for a living, uh, well, that was not a great situation for this young Jewish boy to be in. So as you can imagine, um, he's finding himself longing for home. 
but what we see is this. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's in a foreign land. He's had to get a job, probably for the first time in his life, outside of his father's household, and he's starving. And it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out, he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now it's important to note that there are three main characters in this story. There's the the younger son. We sometimes call him the prodigal son, or your Bible that you have there may say the lost son. And then there is the father. And and then the third character in this story is the older son, the older brother, right? The one who didn't run away. The one who didn't demand his portion of the estate. The one who was loyal to his father. And most of us, in in some case, in some way or another, most of us can relate to the younger son, right? To the prodigal son, to the son who walked away from the father. Because at some point in our lives, most of us, have had a moment of rebellion, right? We've walked away from God. We've strayed from the path that a loving father would have us take. But I think there are two reasons that Jesus tells this story. And one is to draw a contrast between the father and the older son. I think he wants to draw a contrast between the heart of a loving father and the mentality of an older brother. Because most of us know an older brother, Right? I mean, if you've been around church much at all in your life, you've probably met an older brother at a church. Uh, someone who doesn't want all these new people coming. Right? Somebody, somebody who wonders why we let all these sinners in the church. So, like, why are you letting them serve? Why are you going to baptize that person? Don't you know that they haven't turned their life around yet? I mean, maybe you even left a church at some point because of an older brother. And Jesus, in a brilliant way, uses this story to draw out the differences between a loving father and an older brother. And that's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes today. So if you've got a, a card with sermon notes on it, you might get that out. These are in your notes. You can follow along if you want. They're real easy today. Number one is this. Loving fathers are preoccupied with their missing child. 
older brothers are preoccupied, preoccupied with themselves. You know, it's in all of our nature, our human nature, to be focused on, on our wants and our needs. Uh, we see our needs most clearly. We know them most completely. And I think in the same way, every organization, every business, every uh, not-for-profit organization, and yeah, every church uh, becomes more inward-focused over time. In fact, there's a good chance if you're my age or older, which there are a few of you in the crowd, not many, um, but if you're my age or older and you've spent much time at all in churches, there's likely that you've been part of a church um, that was designed for church people. And so many churches, if a new person would walk in, they would say, why do they have this ministry? Or why do they do things this way? Or what? Well, at some point, somebody inside that church thought that was a good idea. And so that became their ministry and they ran with it. And it just became a church designed around the needs of the people that were already there. We see that so many times. And, and so many times that becomes, that church becomes like the older brother, right? But what we see, well, in fact, like maybe you were at a church where there was an unspoken understanding, maybe it was even spoken, but maybe it was an unspoken understanding that, hey, if you start believing what we believe and you start behaving like we behave, then you can belong here. And that's an older brother mentality. But what we see from a loving father is he's always out looking for his younger son. Verse 20 says, while the younger son was a long way off, his father saw him and was full of compassion, and he ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, implicit in this verse is this idea that the father was watching for his son. We even get the sense that he was uh, pacing up and down the fields or walking up and down the roads every day since his son left. He was out walking down the road, anticipating the day when his son would come back home. Now, contrast that with the older brother who has been loyal and hardworking. He didn't run away well, he thinks about all the things that he's not getting. He, he's focused on what would be fair to him. He said, you never even gave me a, a young goat to share with my friends. Well, that's because older brothers are preoccupied with themselves and loving fathers are preoccupied with their missing son. Number two is this. Loving fathers operate from a context or they operate out of forgiveness. Older brothers operate from a context of shame. In verses 29 and 30, look what the older brother says. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you guys ever do that with your kids? Like, do you know what your daughter did today? It always becomes like the other person's child, right? When they did something wrong, right? Well, for for the older brother, it's no longer my brother, When your son, this son of yours, comes home, you know, he says, he says, uh, when the son of yours comes home who has squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now contrast that with a loving father and the way he reacts when his son comes back home. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. He doesn't even let his son finish his speech. 
right? I mean, and I feel for him. He had worked a long time on this speech. He, he was ready to give this to his father. He was practicing all the way home. He's practicing, okay, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he's gonna go on. And as soon as he sees the father, the father sees him and he runs to him and he wraps his arms around him and he kisses him. And the son says, father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father stops him. He says, no, no, don't you talk like that about my son. You are my child. I'm going to put the robe on you. I'm going to put the sandals on you. I'm going to, uh, and, and we could spend a lot of time analyzing what all these things mean and what the robe means and what the ring means and what the sandals mean. But suffice it to say that what the father is doing is he's restoring him to a place of honor. He's restoring him to sonship. He's becoming his son again. He's becoming a part of the family again. He's putting him in a place of honor because he's operating out of forgiveness. What would the world be like if we all operated out of a context of forgiveness? I mean, what would it be like if we always believed the best about other people? What would it be like if we always could trust other people's intentions and overlook their mistakes and and believe the best about people? Well, that's what the the loving father does. Number three is this. Loving fathers throw parties. Older brothers throw fits. You know, look at verse 28. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. He said, I'm not going into that party. I won't take one bite from that fatted calf because it wasn't killed for me. I'm not going to dance to a single song. I'm not going to sing a single lyric. I'm going to stand here with my hands in my pocket and drink my coffee and just watch the whole thing go on. That's the older brother mentality. But that disappoints the loving father. He goes out to try to convince the older brother to come in. And in verse 31, he says, my son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And that's why we celebrate baptisms in a big way at Genesis Church because that's what a loving father would do. When a loving father has his son return home from parts unknown, he throws a party. You know, and as a church, our mission is helping people find their way back to God because we know that God is a loving father. And we know that if people just find their way back to him, they will be met by a father who has been pacing up and down the road waiting for them to come home. We know that they'll find a father who operates out of a context of forgiveness. And we know that they'll find a loving father who's ready to throw a party because his son or his daughter was lost and is now found. They were dead, but they're now alive. And if the father celebrates that, and if the father throws a party for that, well, then as a church, we want to be all about throwing a party for that too. In fact, this story doesn't stand alone. Uh, You should know this is the third in a series of three related stories that Jesus tells about things that are lost. And so he he tells the story about a shepherd at the beginning of Luke 15. He tells about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of those sheep went missing. And he said to the crowd, he said, and won't the shepherd go look for the one, leave the 99 behind and go look for the one who's missing. And the crowd who's standing there listening to this story goes, oh yeah, of course he will. Shepherd, that's what a shepherd would do. You go, you leave the 99 and you go find the one. And then he talks about a woman who's lost a coin. She had a hundred coins. But one of them disappeared and and Jesus says, wouldn't the woman turn her house upside down to find that one coin that was missing? And all of the people in the crowd, again, they were nodding their heads. Yeah, absolutely. She would go. She'd leave the 99 coins behind and go find that one coin. And then he tells the story about this lost son. 
And in the midst of all of that, in the middle of these three stories that Jesus tells, he, he, he says there's celebration, okay, in all of these stories. When the lost thing is found, there's a celebration, there's a party that happens. But in the midst of all of this, Jesus makes this statement. In Luke 15, 10, he says this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, Jesus is saying every time somebody returns back home, there's a party in heaven. Now, I don't know what a party looks like in heaven, <laughs> but I would guess it's pretty special. I, I think it's safe to assume that it's far greater than anything we've seen here on earth. It's greater than any Super Bowl parade or any World Series party or any dancing with the stars celebration, uh, anything that we've seen. And, and we believe as these people come forward today to be baptized, as they make a public statement that they were once lost, but they're now found, there will be much rejoicing in heaven over their decision. In the same way, we believe there should be much rejoicing in this room, and so we're going to throw a party. But back to the lost son one more time. I know you probably don't need me to tell you this, but the father Jesus describes in the story, well, of course, you know, that's our heavenly father. That's God. And like the father in the story, he loves to welcome his children home. He never grows tired of forgiving. It brings him so much glory and so much joy to throw a party for his children. You see, God sent Jesus into this world to make it possible for you and I to come home. Jesus died, he was buried, but he was raised from the dead and he's alive today. And that's why baptism is so powerful. It symbolizes our death to sin as we go down into the water and then our rebirth in Christ as we're raised to new life. So my question for you before we celebrate with these people that are being baptized today is this. Where do you see yourself in the story today? Where are you in the story? Maybe it's a reminder of what Jesus did for you and what the Father thinks of you. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've been on a bit of a journey. Maybe it's a journey of rebellion. Maybe you've walked away for a while. Well, you can encounter the same loving Father today. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to come back home. But maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you never uh, reached out to God. You need to know that his forgiveness is available to you too. He's pacing up and down the fields. He's waiting for you to come home. How do you respond to that? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we're so thankful that you don't have a the mentality of the older brother that you, even through this story that you show us that the loving father will respond with forgiveness. The loving part, the father loves to throw a party when his child comes home. And we are so thankful for that, God. And, and I just pray, and as I pray, and I think about the three people that are coming forward to make this proclamation this morning and, and how, what a celebration that's gonna be, God. I think about the people in this room that maybe aren't there yet. They haven't made that decision to follow you. They don't quite know what to make of all this Jesus stuff. And Lord, I pray that you would just be working in their hearts. Would you show them, even through this story, that a loving father is waiting for them to come home, that you're asking for them, that you're begging for them, that you've got something for them, that you want to restore them to a place of, of power. You want to restore them to a place of family. You want them to be your son or your daughter, and that you made that available through Jesus. And we thank you for that, God, that only in Christ... Can we be restored and can we become a child of yours? So we thank you for that truth. We thank you for the people that are gonna proclaim that this morning and the ones that even now are thinking through that in their hearts, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.
Amen.